This morning we are celebrating Pentecost, and uh, this is generally regarded as the birth of the church, the moment when the fear-filled band of disciples, a small group, began to turn the whole world upside down. And uh, often we focus on the phenomena. There was uh, the sound of rushing wind, there were tongues of fire that rested on the disciples' heads, and they were able to speak in languages that were not their own. But the more lasting legacy really is the outpouring of the spirit of truth, which is what Jesus picks up on in this passage from John. And this changed how the disciples began to understand absolutely everything. When the disciples are talking with Jesus and uh, he's doing lots of wonderful things, Philip says to him, Hey, Jesus, just show us the Father. Just tell us, show us the one who's really in charge of everything. Have you ever been talking to a call centre somewhere and um, you realise that the person you're dealing with is just following a script and you've got an inquiry or an issue that is outside of the script and you realise that the person you're talking to can't do anything about it because it's not in the script and they're not authorised to go beyond the script. And so you have to eventually say, I need to talk with your supervisor. I need to talk with someone who can actually attend to this. I don't want to keep hearing your patter. And we like to talk with the person that's in charge because that's how you get things done and that's how you know what's going on. And Philip wants Jesus to show them the Father. We don't want the uh, lower people in the order to deal with. This is quite understandable. We like to deal with the real power. But there's a challenge here for us because whilst we might want to see the Father, God is more than we can see. Anytime we think we have fully sorted out who God is, when we think we've seen the fullness of God, we can be 100% sure that we are wrong because God continually eludes our biggest thoughts in a way. Um, Jen and I were texting about this during the week. Uh, some people appear to grow out of their faith and grow out of God. We were talking about this over, over a text conversation and um, we realised that sometimes we believe in a kind of a God when we're younger and uh, sometimes things turn out differently to what we might have expected or uh, circumstances aren't working out the way we'd hoped or something. And it's easy to reject the notion of God that we had when we were younger, or simply to lose interest because that kind of notion of God doesn't work for us anymore. But a growing faith might have a series of experiences wherein the God that we had formulated is rejected by us. We kind of go through passages of kind of atheism, as it were, as we let go of our constructed view of God and have to find a bigger God because circumstances and our understanding continue to grow. Our notion of who God is and how God works grows as we experience more and more of life. Uh, About 20 years ago, there was the movie The Matrix. Did anyone remember The Matrix movies? They were kind of groundbreaking at the time. And uh, there was a lovely juxtaposition of the barren world of the real and then the world that seemed much more like the world we understand as normal was actually The Matrix. It was a, a virtual reality scape in a way. And uh, it was a computer simulation. 
And when you're outside the matrix in the barren world of the real, you could see the matrix on a screen and it was a series of uh, symbols just constantly pouring through and there's a dialogue that happens between two of the people on looking at this screen and they're, they're going and going, well, there's too much information. Nobody can read that. It's, there's just too much information, too much data that makes up the whole matrix. And there's a sense in which that's true for us. We try to understand God, but it's kind of there's too much information there. It's bigger than our heads can possibly conceive. And I think that's why there's a progressive revelation in Scripture. Uh, we want to see the Father, but the Father's too big for us to see. So, you know, Abraham gets a little bit. He said, go from your people to a land I will show you. You get that much. And then there's further revelation as they go on. And eventually Moses comes and there's the law. And then they get the temple eventually. And then the prophets come. And ultimately we get to Jesus. Because God is encountered through those whom God has sent. God has always sent messengers. There were angels at different times, prophets, phenomena like smoke or fire or strange languages at Pentecost. And ultimately God sent his son. Each of the messengers have revealed something more of the nature of God. They spoke from their historical context and challenged the established norms of their day. And in this way, they actually did make the Father known. Not the fullness of everything, but a little bit more each time. Are you uh, live streaming me, Hambo? <laughs> I want royalties. Um, and the writer of the Hebrews says just this at the beginning of that letter. If you look at the, the letter to the Hebrews, it starts off by saying, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the world. None of the prophets reveal the heart of God quite so effectively as the Son did. So Jesus reveals the Father. And this is what the Spirit comes to make known in a way. The Spirit wants us to know who Jesus is, wants us to believe in Jesus. The Spirit comes to convict us that Jesus has been sent from the Father. The Spirit does this by revealing the truth of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit communing with our spirit, giving us a profound sense of the truth regarding the story of the gospel. And at that point you might want to pause and go, hang on a minute, the gospel story is actually a bit of a challenge to our credulity. It's not easy to believe and sometimes it's not easy to think that it's true. A guiding star, a virgin birth, angelic visitations and then as Jesus grows up and starts his ministry all those healings how do we understand the truth of that and in our world today those things aren't very common and so it's hard for us to know how to believe in those kinds of things but the truth of the story is beyond each particular detail you might quibble about how to understand parts of it what the star 
might mean or what a virgin birth might mean or all sorts of things. I mean, for goodness sake, theologians have quibbled over those things for 2,000 years. Yet the direction of the entire story has an irrefutability about it, in a sense. People in his day encountered Jesus and discovered eternal life in him. That's the testimony we get. And we can be confident that that testimony is true because people have been discovering eternal life in Jesus ever since. And it has changed the world materially, manifestly, in all sorts of wonderful ways that we now take for granted. We have slowly discovered a much richer life on account of this gospel story. And this is rooted in the self-giving love of Christ on the cross and the redeeming power of his resurrection. And there's a truth to this that the Spirit makes known to us such that we go, yes, I believe that story. I think it's truer than any of the other stories that are going around and I'm going to respond to it. Jesus has a funny little thing as he's talking with Philip. Uh, he challenges the, the disciples. He says, believe that the Father has sent me. Well, hang on a minute. If you can't believe that, have a look at what I'm doing. Believe on account of the works themselves. Am I not touching people's lives and turning things around for them? Isn't that convincing in and of itself? It's as though Jesus says there's a surplus of indicators here. You can be confident that the Father is in what I say and do. Um, the Spirit reveals the virtue of Jesus' healing and teaching and brings conviction to people. And the Spirit continues to show us the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection. The Spirit of truth continues to work in people to reveal what it means that Christ died on the cross and rose again afterwards. Even the event of Pentecost, uh, which came pretty quickly after Jesus' death and resurrection, was about making Christ known and making clearer the meaning of his death and resurrection. All the meaning is not revealed all at once because we can't possibly understand it all at once. Our brains don't work like that. Uh, it's all there. All the meaning is there in that central act. But the process of us understanding it takes a long time. It's still being understood 2,000 years later. New meaning or deeper meaning or fuller meaning is still being understood. And that's the way it has to be. Our recent brain uh, research has indicated that our brains continue to grow and form well into our 20s. We're, we're still forming our brains into our 20s. And the, the part of our brain that is the last part to form is the prefrontal frontal cortex. And that's the part that deals with ethics and how we understand what's most important in life and th that kind of thing. And they suspect that the reason this is is because you need to know a bit about life before you can make an assessment of what's what virtue is and what's ethical and what's most important. And the idea here is uh, you need a decent amount of life experience. You need to have a bunch of stories that you know and see how they work out so that you can understand what's the most important thing here. As we observe or experience the outcomes of these stories, our prefrontal cortex gathers data 
and sifts it and decides what's the most important bits and what gets us to the outcomes that we want to get to. Where is virtue to be found? What's really important? So the Spirit continues to reveal the meaning of the story because circumstances draw it out in a sense. We can't know the fullness of what the Gospel story means in every circumstance because we haven't faced every circumstance. And it's as we face today and this afternoon and tomorrow that more meaning of the gospel will be revealed in the face of those circumstances and what it calls forth from us. It's the stories that shape what we consider to be important and it's almost as though the society has a collective brain that's doing a work of sifting and evaluating as well and watching how stories work out so as to assess what is the most important and what has virtue. So the Spirit is doing that work. But when you get baptised in the Spirit of Truth, it's an entirely different kind of Spirit from anything else in the realm of Spirit. Uh, The thing is that we all use various matrix to assess our stories. Uh, One person might say Jesus is a loser for dying on the cross because he died. Why would you do that? Why not just run away or blame someone else or obfuscate in some way? What a stupid person. So that's evaluating the story with a particular matrix. And another person discovers eternal life in that story. That's a very different matrix of understanding a story. When we're baptised in the spirit of truth, we relinquish the option to massage the details to our advantage. There's no longer an option to engage in what is commonly called fake news. Uh, This is an entirely other spirit to the spirit of the age. Everywhere we turn today, people are using just the bits of information they want to satisfy the agenda that they have. And the spirit takes us into revealing truth, confronting truth, liberating truth. And we become functionaries of the truth, in a way. When we're baptised in the spirit of truth, it's not simply that we seek to be honest in our dealings, although I hope that you will seek to do that because that's important. Uh, We also are willing to start to explore the truth about ourselves, which is a much harder thing. I don't care who you are, that's pretty confronting, the truth about ourselves In fact, it's so confronting, I believe, that without being baptised in the spirit of truth, we simply would unconsciously protect ourselves from ever seeing the most unpalatable parts of who we actually are. And you might think, well, it doesn't sound much fun to go and discover all the unpalatable bits about who I am. Why do I have to do that? And Jesus answers that in John chapter 8. He says, you will know the truth... And the truth will set you free. Because the deeper the truth we see, the greater our liberty in all of life. And Jesus wants to lead us into all of life and give us the most abundant life. And so that's what the Spirit is wanting to do. In this understanding of what really is true is where humility is born. Genuine, profound humility It's where compassion springs forth. 
It's where we're released from our darkest fears. It's where we do business with our most destructive dependencies. And as the spirit of truth brings us into freedom, we start to do even greater things. We can think thoughts that we've never thought before. We can achieve things that we've never considered possible before. New pathways open up for us. New interests become a focus for us. And our convictions become deeper and sturdier. Just as Jesus indicates, uh, like the person who hears what he says and goes and does it is a person who is building their house on a really firm foundation. The spirit of truth helps us understand the truth of who we are, the truth of the world, the truth of what Jesus' death and resurrection means, and that sets us up to be sturdy disciples. See, the Pentecost that occurred just after Jesus' resurrection came with some unusual phenomena. But these things were nothing compared to the ongoing revealing work of the spirit of truth. We see how it turns around the disciples' lives. They were never the same again. They went from being fear-filled and huddled together in secret to going out and declaring a truth that was subversive to the power of their day. And it cost them dearly and it was entirely worth it. See, when we're baptised in this spirit of truth, it will turn our lives around as well. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have given us an advocate, one who comes and speaks the truth in the deepest places of our hearts, a truth that sets us free and sets us on a sturdy, sturdy, firm place that we might enter into life as agents of that truth and of that freedom in the name of Christ. Amen.